Did you know you can listen to this sleepy bookshelf ad-free by joining our premium feed? You'll also get exclusive bonus episodes and a seven-day free trial so you can decide whether you like it or not. Follow the link in the show notes to learn more. Good evening, and welcome to the Sleepy Bookshelf, where we put down our worries from the day and pick up a good book. I'm Elizabeth, your host, and I'm so glad to have you here with me. Tonight, we'll be returning to Pride and Prejudice. But before we open our book, just enjoy this moment to relax. You have nothing left to do and nothing to worry about. Take a big stretch in bed, whatever feels best for you. Give your body this opportunity to release any tension from the day. Let's take a few deep breaths to help with that. So inhale, collecting any worries or concerns, and then exhale, letting them all go. Once more now, Inhale and exhale. Wonderful. Last time, Mrs. Bennett brought good news that Mr. Bingley, a handsome and eligible bachelor, had arrived in town with her sights set on a marriage proposal for one of her five daughters. She and her husband arranged an encounter at the ball. The eldest daughter, Jane, took a fancy to kind Mr. Bingley, and he to her. But Mr. Darcy, Bingley's friend and fellow wealthy bachelor, made a poor impression on second daughter Elizabeth with his rude behavior, as did Bingley's two sisters. And that's where we pick back up tonight, with a visit between Elizabeth Bennet and her good friend Charlotte Lucas, as they discuss the budding relationship between Jane and Mr. Bingley. So rest your attention on the sound of my voice while you make your way to sleep, and I'll turn to the next page of Pride and prejudice. Chapter 6 The ladies of Longbourn soon came to call on those of Netherfield. The visit was returned in due form. Miss Bennet's pleasing manners grew on the goodwill of Mrs. Hurst and Miss Bingley, and though the mother was found to be intolerable, and the younger sisters not worth speaking to, a wish of being better acquainted with them was expressed towards the two eldest. By Jane, this attention was received with the greatest pleasure but Elizabeth still saw arrogance in their treatment of everybody, hardly accepting even her sister, and could not like them, though their kindness to Jane, such as it was, had a value as arising, in all probability, from the influence of their brother's admiration. It was generally evident whenever they met that he did admire Jane, and to Elizabeth, it was equally evident that Jane was yielding to the preference which she had begun to entertain for him from the first, and was, in a way, to be very much in love. But she considered with pleasure that it was not likely to be discovered by the world in general, since Jane united with great strength of feeling, a composure of temper, 
and a uniform cheerfulness of manner which would guard her from the suspicions of the impertinent. Elizabeth mentioned this to her friend Miss Lucas. It may perhaps be pleasant, replied Charlotte, to be able to impose on the public in such a case, but it is sometimes a disadvantage to be so very guarded. If a woman conceals her affection with the same skill from the object of it, she may lose the opportunity of fixing him, and it will then be but poor consolation to believe the world equally in the dark. There is so much of gratitude or vanity in almost every attachment that it is not safe to leave any to itself. We can all begin freely. A slight preference is natural enough, but there are very few of us who have heart enough to be really in love without encouragement. In nine cases out of ten, a woman had better show more affection than she feels. Bingley likes your sister undoubtedly, but he may never do more than like her if she does not help him on. But she does help him on, as much as her nature will allow, said Elizabeth. If I can perceive her regard for him, he must be a fool indeed to not discover it too. Remember, Eliza, that he does not know Jane's disposition as you do, said Charlotte. But if a woman is partial to a man and does not endeavor to conceal it, he must find it out, Elizabeth replied. Perhaps he must, if he sees enough of her said Charlotte. But though Bingley and Jane meet tolerably often, it is never for many hours together, and, as they always see each other in large, mixed parties, it is impossible that every moment should be employed in conversing together. Jane should therefore make the most of every half-hour in which she can command his attention. When she is secure of him, there will be leisure for falling in love as much as she chooses. Your plan is a good one, replied Elizabeth, where nothing is in question but the desire of being well married. And if I were determined to get a rich husband, or any husband, I dare say I should adopt it. But these are not Jane's feelings. She is not acting by design, as yet, she cannot even be certain of the degree of her own regard for Bingley, nor of its reasonableness. She has known him only a fortnight. She danced four dances with him at Meryton, she saw him one morning at his own house, and has since dined in company with him four times. This is not quite enough to make her understand his character. Not as you represent it said Charlotte. Had she merely dined with him, she might only have discovered whether he had a good appetite. But you must remember that four evenings have also been spent together, and four evenings may do a great deal. Yes, said Elizabeth. These four evenings have enabled them to ascertain that they both prefer to play the same game of cards over any other. But with respect to any other leading characteristic, I do not imagine that much has been unfolded. Well, said Charlotte, I wish Jane success with all my heart, and if she were married to him tomorrow, I should think she has a good chance of happiness, as if she were to be studying his character for a twelve-month. Happiness in marriage is entirely a matter of chance. If the dispositions of the parties are ever so well known to each other, or ever so similar beforehand, it does not advance their felicity in the least. They always continue to grow sufficiently, unlike each other afterwards, to have their share of vexation, and it is better to know as little as possible of the defects of a person with whom you are to pass your life. You make me laugh, Charlotte, but it is not sound, said Elizabeth. You know it is not sound, 
and that you would never act in this way yourself. Occupied in observing Mr. Bingley's attentions to her sister, Elizabeth was far from suspecting that she was herself becoming an object of some interest in the eyes of his friend. Mr. Darcy had at first scarcely allowed her to be pretty. He had looked at her without admiration at the ball, and when they next met, he looked at her only to criticize. But no sooner had he made it clear to himself and his friends that she had hardly a good feature in her face, then he began to find it was rendered uncommonly intelligent by the beautiful expression of her dark eyes. To this discovery succeeded some others equally mortifying. Though he had detected with a critical eye more than one failure of perfect symmetry in her form, he was forced to acknowledge her figure to be light and pleasing. And in spite of his asserting that her manners were not those of the fashionable world, he was caught by their easy playfulness. Of this, she was perfectly unaware. To her, he was only the man who made himself agreeable nowhere and who had not thought her handsome enough to dance with. He began to wish to know more of her, and as a step towards conversing with her himself, paid attention to her conversation with others. His doing so drew her notice. It was at Sir William Lucas's, where a large party were assembled. What does Mr. Darcy mean? said Elizabeth to Charlotte by listening to my conversation with Colonel Forster. That is a question which only Mr. Darcy can answer, Charlotte replied. But if he does it any more, I shall certainly let him know that I see what he is about, said Elizabeth. He has a very satirical eye, and if I do not begin by being impertinent myself, I shall soon grow afraid of him. On his approaching them soon afterwards, though without seeming to have any intention of speaking, Miss Lucas defied her friend to mention such a subject to him, which immediately provoked Elizabeth to do it. She turned to him and said, Did you not think, Mr. Darcy, that I expressed myself uncommonly well just now, when I was teasing Colonel Forster to give us a ball at Meryton? With great energy, Mr. Darcy replied, but it is a subject which always makes a lady energetic. You are severe on us, said Elizabeth. It will be her turn soon to be teased, said Miss Lucas. I am going to open the piano, Eliza, and you know what follows. You are a very strange creature by way of a friend always wanting me to play and sing before anybody and everybody, said Elizabeth. If my vanity had taken a musical turn, you would have been invaluable. But as it is, I would really rather not sit down before those who must be in the habit of hearing the very best performers. On Miss Lucas's persevering, however, she added, Very well, if it must be so, it must and gravely glancing at Mr. Darcy, Elizabeth continued, There is a fine old saying, which everybody here is, of course, familiar with. Keep your breath to cool your porridge, and I shall keep mine to swell my song. Her performance was pleasing, though by no means capital. After a song or two, and before she could reply to the entreaties of several that she would sing again, she was eagerly succeeded at the instrument by her sister Mary, who, having in consequence of being the only plain one in the family, worked hard for knowledge and accomplishments, was always impatient for a chance to display her talents. Mary had neither genius nor taste, and though vanity had given her application, it had given her, likewise, 
a pedantic air and conceited manner, which would have injured a higher degree of excellence than she had reached. Elizabeth, easy and unaffected, had been listened to with much more pleasure, though not playing half so well. And Mary, at the end of a long concerto, was glad to purchase praise and gratitude by playing Scotch and Irish songs at the request of her younger sisters, who, with some of the Lucases and two or three officers, joined eagerly in dancing at one end of the room. Mr. Darcy stood near them in silent indignation at such a mode of passing the evening, to the exclusion of all conversation, and he was too much engrossed by his own thoughts to perceive that Sir William Lucas was his neighbour, till Sir William thus began to speak. What a charming amusement for young people this is, Mr. Darcy, Sir William said. There is nothing like dancing, after all. I consider it as one of the first refinements of polished societies. Certainly, sir, Mr. Darcy replied. And it has the advantage also of being in vogue amongst the less polished societies of the world. Anyone can dance. Sir William only smiled. Your friend performs delightfully, he continued after a pause, on seeing Bingley join the group, and I doubt not that you are an adept in the science of dancing yourself, Mr. Darcy. You saw me dance at Meryton, I believe, sir, Darcy replied. Yes, indeed, and received no inconsiderable pleasure from the sight, said Sir William. Do you often dance at St. James's? Never, sir, replied Darcy. Do you not think it would be a proper compliment to the place? Asked Sir William. It is a compliment which I never pay to any place if I can avoid it, said Darcy. You have a house in town, I conclude, asked Sir William. Mr. Darcy bowed in reply. I had once some thoughts of fixing in town for myself, for I am fond of superior society, said Sir William. But I did not feel quite certain that the air of London would agree with Lady Lucas. He paused in hopes of an answer, but his companion was not disposed to make any. And, as Elizabeth at that instant moved towards them, he was struck with the notion of doing a very gallant thing and called out to her. My dear Miss Eliza, why are you not dancing? Mr. Darcy, you must allow me to present this young lady to you as a very desirable partner. You cannot refuse to dance, I am sure, when so much beauty is before you. And, taking Elizabeth's hand, he would have given it to Mr. Darcy who, though extremely surprised, was not unwilling to receive it, when she instantly drew back and said with some discomposure to Sir William, Indeed, sir, I have not the least intention of dancing. I entreat you not to suppose that I moved this way in order to beg for a partner. Mr. Darcy, with grave propriety, requested to be allowed the honour of her hand, but it was in vain. Elizabeth was determined, nor did Sir William at all shake her purpose by his attempt at persuasion. You excel so much in the dance, Miss Eliza, that it is cruel to deny me the happiness of seeing you, said Sir William. And though this gentleman dislikes the amusement in general, he can have no objection, I am sure, to oblige us for one half hour, Mr. Darcy is all politeness, said Elizabeth, smiling. He is indeed, said Sir William. But considering the inducement, my dear Miss Eliza, we cannot wonder at his complacence. For who would object to such a partner? Elizabeth looked archly and turned away. 
Her resistance had not injured her with the gentleman, and Mr. Darcy was thinking of her with some complacency. When thus, accosted by Miss Bingley, I can guess the subject of your reverie, Miss Bingley said. I should imagine not, replied Mr. Darcy. You are considering how insupportable it would be to pass many evenings in this manner in such society, said Miss Bingley. And indeed, I am quite of your opinion. I was never more annoyed. The insipidity and yet the noise, the nothingness and yet the self-importance of all these people. What I would give to hear your strictures on them. Your conjecture is totally wrong, I assure you, said Mr. Darcy. My mind was more agreeably engaged. I have been meditating on the very great pleasure which a pair of fine eyes in the face of a pretty woman can bestow. Miss Bingley immediately fixed her eyes on his face and desired he would tell her what lady had the credit of inspiring such reflections. Mr. Darcy replied with great intrepidity, Miss Elizabeth Bennet. Miss Elizabeth Bennet, repeated Miss Bingley. I am all astonishment. How long has she been such a favourite? And pray, when am I to wish you joy on an engagement? That is exactly the question which I expected you to ask, said Mr. Darcy. A lady's imagination is very rapid. It jumps from admiration to love, and from love to matrimony in a moment. I knew you would be wishing me joy. Nay, if you are so serious about it, I shall consider the matter as absolutely settled, said Miss Bingley. You will have a charming mother-in-law indeed, and of course, she will always be at Pemberley with you. He listened to her with perfect indifference while she chose to entertain herself in this manner, and as his composure convinced her that all was safe, her wit flowed long. Chapter 7 Mr. Bennet's property consisted almost entirely of an estate of £2,000 a year, which unfortunately for his daughters, was to be left, for a lack of any male heirs, to a distant relation. And their mother's fortune, though ample for her situation in life, could but ill supply the deficiency of his. Her father had been an attorney in Meryton and had left her £4,000. She had a sister married to a Mr. Phillips, who had been a clerk to their father and succeeded him in the business, and a brother settled in London in a respectable line of trade. The village of Longbourn was only one mile from Meryton, a most convenient distance for the young ladies, who were usually tempted to go there three or four times a week to pay their duty to their aunt and to a milliner's shop just over the way. The two youngest of the family, Catherine and Lydia, were particularly frequent in these attentions. Their minds were more vacant than their sisters, and when nothing better offered, a walk to Meryton was necessary to amuse their morning hours and furnish conversation for the evening. And however bare of news the country in general might be, they always contrived to learn some from their aunt. At present, indeed, they were well supplied both with news and happiness by the recent arrival of a militia regiment in the neighborhood. It was to remain the whole winter, and Meryton was the headquarters. Their visits to Mrs. Phillips were now productive in the most interesting intelligence. Every day, added something to their knowledge of the officers' names and connections. Their lodgings were not longer secret, and at length 
they began to know the officers themselves. Mr. Phillips visited them all, and this opened to his nieces a source of felicity unknown before. They could talk of nothing but officers. Mr. Bingley's large fortune, the mention of which gave animation to their mother, was worthless in their eyes when compared to the uniform of an ensign. After listening one morning to their effusions on this subject, Mr. Bennet coolly observed, From all that I can collect by your manner of talking, you must be two of the silliest girls in the country. I have suspected it some time, but I'm now convinced. Catherine was disconcerted and made no answer, but Lydia, with perfect indifference, continued to express her admiration of Captain Carter and her hope of seeing him in the course of the day as he was going the next morning to London. I am astonished, my dear, said Mrs. Bennet, that you should be so ready to think your own children silly. If I wish to think slightingly of anybody's children, it should not be of my own, however. If my children are silly, I must hope to always be sensible of it, said Mr. Bennet. Yes, said Mrs. Bennet, but as it happens, they are all of them very clever. This is the only point, I flatter myself, on which we do not agree said Mr. Bennet. I had hoped that our sentiments coincided in every particular, but I must so far differ from you as to think our two youngest daughters uncommonly foolish. Oh, my dear Mr. Bennet, you must not expect such girls to have the sense of their father and mother, said Mrs. Bennet. When they get to our age, I dare say they will not think about officers any more than we do. I remember the time when I liked a red coat myself, very well, and indeed, so I still do at my heart. And if a smart young colonel, with five or six thousand pounds a year, should want one of my girls, I shall not say nay to him. And I thought Colonel Forster looked very becoming the other night at Sir William's in his regimentals. Mamma, cried Lydia, my aunt says that Colonel Forster and Captain Carter do not go so often to Miss Watson's as they did when they first came. She sees them now very often standing in Clark's library. Mrs. Bennet was prevented from replying by the entrance of the footman with a note for Miss Bennet. It came from Netherfield, and the servant waited for an answer. Mrs. Bennet's eyes sparkled with pleasure, and she was eagerly calling out while her daughter read. Well, Jane, who is it from? cried Mrs. Bennet. What is it about? What does he say? Well, Jane, make haste and tell us. Make haste, my love. It is from Miss Bingley, said Jane, and then read it aloud. My dear friend, the letter began, if you are not so compassionate as to dine today with Louisa and me, we shall be in danger of hating each other for the rest of our lives for a whole day's tete-a-tete between two women can never end without a quarrel. Come as soon as you can on the receipt of this. My brother and the gentleman are to dine with the officers. Yours ever, Caroline Bingley. With the officers? cried Lydia. I wonder why my aunt did not tell us of that. Dining out, said Mrs. Bennet. That is very unlucky. Can I have the carriage? Asked Jane. No, my dear. You had better go on horseback, because it seems likely to rain, and then you must stay all night, 
said Mrs. Bennet. That would be a good scheme, said Elizabeth, if you were sure that they would not offer to send her home. Oh, but the gentleman will have Mr. Bingley's carriage to go to Meryton, and the Hursts have no horses to theirs, said Mrs. Bennet. I had much rather go in the coach, said Jane. But, my dear, your father cannot spare the horses, I am sure, said Mrs. Bennet. They are wanted in the farm, Mr. Bennet, are they not? They are wanted in the farm much oftener than I can get them, said Mr. Bennet. But if you have got them today, said Elizabeth, my mother's purpose will be answered. She did, at last, extort from her father an acknowledgement that the horses were engaged. Jane was, therefore, obliged to go on horseback, and her mother accompanied her to the door with many cheerful predictions of a bad weather day. Her hopes were answered. Jane had not been gone long before it rained hard. Her sisters were uneasy for her, but her mother was delighted. The rain continued the whole evening without intermission. Jane certainly could not come back. This was a lucky idea of mine indeed, said Mrs. Bennet more than once, as if the credit of making it rain were all her own. Till the next morning, however, Mrs. Bennet was not aware of all the felicity of her contrivance. Breakfast was scarcely over when a servant from Netherfield brought the following note for Elizabeth. My dearest Lizzie, the letter began, I find myself very unwell this morning, which, I suppose, is to be credited to my getting wet yesterday. My kind friends will not hear of my returning home till I am better. They also insist on my seeing Mr. Jones, the apothecary. Therefore, do not be alarmed if you should hear of his having been to see me, and accepting a sore throat and headache, there is not much the matter with me. Yours, Jane. Well, my dear, said Mr. Bennet, when Elizabeth had read the note aloud. If your daughter should have a dangerous fit of illness, or if she should die, it would be a comfort to know that it was all in pursuit of Mr. Bingley under your orders. Oh, I am not at all afraid of her dying, said Mrs. Bennet. People do not die of little trifling colds. She will be taken good care of. As long as she stays there, it is all very well. I would go and see her if I could have the carriage. Elizabeth, feeling really anxious, was determined to go to her, though the carriage was not to be had, and, as she was no horsewoman, walking was her only alternative. She declared her resolution to go by foot to Netherfield. How can you be so silly? cried her mother. As to think of such a thing, in all this dirt, You will not be fit to be seen when you get there. I shall be very fit to see Jane, which is all I want, said Elizabeth. Is this a hint to me, Lizzie, said her father, to send for the horses? No, indeed, said Elizabeth. I do not wish to avoid the walk. The distance is nothing when one has a motive. Only three miles. I shall be back by dinner. I admire the activity of your benevolence, observed Mary, but every impulse of feeling should be guided by reason, and, in my opinion, exertion should always be in proportion to what is required. We will go as far as Meryton with you, said Catherine and Lydia. Elizabeth accepted their company and the three young ladies set off together. If we make haste, said Lydia as they walked along, perhaps we may see something of Captain Carter before he goes. In Meryton they parted ways, 
the two youngest repaired to the lodgings of one of the officer's wives, and Elizabeth continued her walk alone, crossing field after field at a quick pace, jumping over stiles and springing over puddles with impatient activity. She found herself at last within view of the house, with weary ankles, dirty socks, and a face glowing with the warmth of exercise. She was shown into the breakfast parlour, where all but Jane were assembled, and where her appearance created a great deal of surprise. That she should have walked three miles so early in the day, in such dirty weather by herself, was almost incredible to Mrs. Hurst and Miss Bingley, and Elizabeth was convinced that they held her in contempt for it. She was received, however, very politely by them, and in their brother's manners, there was something better than politeness. There was good humour and kindness. Mr. Darcy said very little, and Mr. Hurst nothing at all. The former was divided between admiration of the brilliancy which exercise had given to Elizabeth's complexion, and doubt as to the occasions justifying her coming so far alone. The latter was thinking only of his breakfast. Her inquiries after her sister were not very favourably answered. Miss Bennet had slept ill, and though up, was very feverish and not well enough to leave her room. Elizabeth was glad to be taken to her immediately, and Jane, who had only been withheld by the fear of giving alarm or inconvenience from expressing in her note how much she longed for a visit, was delighted at her entrance. She was not equal, however, to much conversation, and when Miss Bingley left them together, she could attempt little besides expressions of gratitude for the extraordinary kindness she was treated with. Elizabeth silently listened to her. When breakfast was over, they were joined by the sisters, and Elizabeth began to like them herself when she saw how much affection and solicitude they showed for Jane. The apothecary came, and having examined his patient, said, as might be supposed, that she had caught a violent cold, and that they must endeavour to get the better of it. He advised her to return to bed, and promised to bring her some draughts. The advice was followed readily, for the feverish symptoms increased, and her head ached acutely. Elizabeth did not leave her room for a moment, nor were the other ladies often absent. The gentlemen being out, they had, in fact, nothing to do elsewhere. When the clock struck three, Elizabeth felt that she must go, and very unwillingly said so. Miss Bingley offered her the carriage, and she only wanted a little pressing to accept it, when Jane testified such concern in parting with her that Miss Bingley was obliged to convert the offer of the carriage into an invitation to remain at Netherfield for the present. Elizabeth most thankfully consented, and a servant was dispatched to Longbourn to acquaint the family with her stay and bring back a supply of clothes. Chapter 8 At five o'clock, the two ladies retired to dress. At half-past six, Elizabeth was summoned to dinner. To the civil inquiries which then poured in, and amongst which she had the pleasure of distinguishing the much superior solicitude of Mr. Bingley's, she could not make a very favourable answer. Jane was by no means better. The sisters, on hearing this, repeated three or four times how much they were grieved how shocking it was to have a bad cold, and how excessively they disliked being ill themselves, and then thought no more of the matter. 
Their indifference towards Jane when she was not immediately before them restored Elizabeth to the enjoyment of all her original dislike. Their brother, indeed, was the only one of the party whom she could regard with any complacency. His anxiety for Jane was evident, and his attentions to herself most pleasing. They prevented Elizabeth feeling herself so much an intruder as she believed she was considered by the others. She had very little notice from any but him. Miss Bingley was engrossed by Mr. Darcy, her sister scarcely less so, and as for Mr. Hurst, by whom Elizabeth sat, he was an indolent man who lived only to eat, drink, and play at cards, who, when he found her prefer a plain dish to a ragout, had nothing to say to her. When dinner was over, she returned directly to Jane, and Miss Bingley began abusing her as soon as she was out of the room. Her manners were pronounced to be very bad indeed, a mixture of pride and impertinence. She had no conversation, no style, no taste, no beauty. Mrs. Hurst thought the same and added, she has nothing in short to recommend her but being an excellent walker. I shall never forget her appearance this morning. She really looked almost wild. She did indeed, Louisa, said Miss Bingley. I could hardly keep my countenance. Very nonsensical to come at all. Why must she be scampering about the country because her sister had a cold? Her hair so untidy, so blousy. Yes, and her petticoat, said Mrs. Hurst. I hope you saw her petticoat. Six inches deep in mud, I'm absolutely certain. And the gown which had been let down to hide it, not doing its office. Your picture must be very exact, Louisa, said Mr. Bingley. But this was all lost upon me. I thought Miss Elizabeth Bennet looked remarkably well when she came into the room this morning. Her dirty petticoat quite escaped my notice. You observed it, Mr. Darcy, I am sure, said Miss Bingley. And I am inclined to think that you would not wish to see your sister make such an exhibition. Certainly not, said Mr. Darcy. To walk three miles or four miles or five miles or whatever it is, above her ankles in dirt, and alone, quite alone, said Miss Bingley. What could she mean by it? It seems to me to show an abominable sort of conceited independence, a most country town indifference to decorum. It shows an affection for her sister that is very pleasing, said Mr. Bingley. I am afraid, Mr. Darcy, observed Miss Bingley in a half-whisper, that this adventure has rather affected your admiration of her fine eyes. Not at all, replied Mr. Darcy. They were brightened by the exercise. A short pause followed this speech, and Mrs. Hurst began again. I have excessive regard for Jane Bennet. She really is a very sweet girl, and I wish with all my heart she were well settled. But with such a father and mother, and such low connections, I'm afraid there is no chance of it. I think I have heard you say that their uncle is an attorney in Meryton, said Miss Bingley. Yes, said Mrs. Hurst, and they have another who lives somewhere near Cheapside. That is capital, added her sister, and they both laughed heartily. If they had uncles enough to fill all Cheapside, cried Mr. Bingley, it would not make them one jot less agreeable, but it would very materially lessen their chance of marrying men of any consideration in the world, replied Darcy. 
To this speech, Bingley made no answer, but his sisters gave it their hearty assent and indulged their mirth for some time at the expense of their dear friend's vulgar relations. With a renewal of tenderness, however, they repaired to her room on leaving the dining parlour and sat with her till summoned to coffee. She was still very poorly, and Elizabeth would not leave her side at all till late in the evening, when she had the comfort of seeing her asleep, and when it appeared to her rather right than pleasant that she should go downstairs herself. On entering the drawing room, she found the whole party engaged in playing a game of cards and was immediately invited to join them. But suspecting them to be playing with high stakes, she declined it, and making her sister the excuse, said she would amuse herself for the short time she could stay below with a book. Mr. Hurst looked at her with astonishment. Do you prefer reading? to cards, said he. That is rather singular. Miss Eliza Bennet despises cards, said Miss Bingley. She is a great reader and has no pleasure in anything else. I deserve neither such praise nor such censure, cried Elizabeth. I am not a great reader, and I have pleasure in many things. In nursing your sister, I am sure you have pleasure, said Mr. Bingley, and I hope it will soon be increased by seeing her quite well. Elizabeth thanked him from her heart, and then walked towards a table where a few books were lying. He immediately offered to fetch her others, all that his library afforded. And I wish my collection were larger for your benefit and my own credit said Mr. Bingley. But I am an idle fellow, and though I have not many, I have more than I have ever looked into. Elizabeth assured him that she could suit herself perfectly with those in the room. I am astonished, said Miss Bingley, that my father should have left so small a collection of books. What a delightful library you have at Pemberley, Mr. Darcy. It ought to be good, Darcy replied. It has been the work of many generations. And then you have added so much to it yourself, said Miss Bingley. You are always buying books. I cannot comprehend the neglect of a family library in such days as these, said Darcy. Neglect, said Miss Bingley. I am sure you neglect nothing that can add to the beauties of that noble place. She continued, turning to her brother. Charles, when you build your house, I wish it may be half as delightful as Pemberley. I wish it may, Mr. Bingley replied. But I would really advise you to make your purchase in that neighborhood and take Pemberley for a kind of model said Miss Bingley. There is not a finer county in England than Derbyshire. With all my heart, I will buy Pemberley itself if Darcy will sell it, said Mr. Bingley. I'm talking of possibilities, Charles, said Miss Bingley. Upon my word, Caroline, I should think it more possible to get Pemberley by purchase than by imitation, Mr. Bingley replied. Elizabeth was so much caught by what passed as to leave her very little attention for her book, and soon, laying it wholly aside, she drew near the card table and stationed herself between Mr. Bingley and his eldest sister to observe the game. Is Miss Darcy much grown since the spring? asked Miss Bingley. Will she be as tall as I am? I think she will said Mr. Darcy. She is now about Miss Elizabeth Bennet's height, or rather taller. How I long to see her again, said Miss Bingley. I never met with anybody who delighted me so much. Such a countenance, such manners, 
and so extremely accomplished for her age. Her performance on the piano forte is exquisite. It's amazing to me, said Bingley, how young ladies can have patience to be so very accomplished as they all are. All young ladies accomplished, said Miss Bingley. My dear Charles, what do you mean? Yes, all of them, I think, Mr. Bingley replied. They all paint tables, cover screens and net purses. I scarcely know anyone who cannot do all this, and I'm sure I never heard a young lady spoken of for the first time without being informed that she was very accomplished. Your list of the common extent of accomplishments, said Darcy, has too much truth. The word is applied to many a woman who deserved it no otherwise than by netting a purse or covering a screen. But I'm very far from agreeing with you in your estimation of ladies in general. I cannot boast of knowing more than half a dozen in the whole range of my acquaintance that are really accomplished. Nor I, I am sure, said Miss Bingley. Then, observed Elizabeth, you must comprehend a great deal in your idea of an accomplished woman. Yes, replied Darcy, I do comprehend a great deal in it. Oh, certainly, cried his faithful assistant. No one can be really esteemed accomplished who does not greatly surpass what is usually met with. A woman must have a thorough knowledge of music, singing, drawing, dancing, and the modern languages to deserve the word. And besides all this, she must possess a certain something in her air and manner of walking, the tone of her voice, her address and expressions, or the word will be but half deserved. All this she must possess, added Darcy, and to all this she must yet add something more substantial in the improvement of her mind by extensive reading. I am no longer surprised at your knowing only six accomplished women, said Elizabeth. I rather wonder now at your knowing any. Are you so severe upon your own sex as to doubt the possibility of all this? Said Darcy. I never saw such a woman, said Elizabeth. I never saw such capacity and taste and application and elegance as you describe united. Mrs. Hurst and Miss Bingley both cried out against the injustice of her implied doubt, and were both protesting that they knew many women who answered this description, when Mr. Hurst called them to order with bitter complaints of their inattention to what was going forward. As all conversation was thereby at an end, Elizabeth soon afterwards left the room. Eliza Bennet said Miss Bingley when the door was closed on her. Is one of those young ladies who seek to recommend themselves to the other sex by undervaluing their own. And with many men, I dare say it succeeds. But in my opinion, it is a paltry device, a very mean art. Undoubtedly, replied Darcy, to whom this remark was chiefly addressed. There is meanness in all the arts which ladies sometimes condescend to employ for captivation. Whatever bears affinity to cunning is despicable. Miss Bingley was not so entirely satisfied with this reply as to continue the subject. Elizabeth joined them again only to say that her sister was worse and that she could not leave her. Bingley urged Mr. Jones being sent for immediately while his sisters, convinced that no country advice could be of any service, recommended an express to town for one of the most eminent physicians. This Elizabeth would not hear of, but she was not so unwilling to comply with their brother's proposal 
and it was settled that Mr. Jones should be sent for early in the morning if Miss Bennett were not decidedly better. Bingley was quite uncomfortable. His sisters declared that they were miserable. They solaced their wretchedness, however, by singing duets after supper, while he could find no better relief to his feelings than by giving his housekeeper directions that every possible attention might be paid to the sick lady and her sister. <laughs> 